Hello, and welcome to Cubicle Confidential, weekly advice for the working stiff. I'm Chris DeSantis, and let me introduce my co-host, the inimitable Tim McClure. Hey, Chris, how you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks, Tim. How you doing? I'm doing great. Did you have a nice week? I did have a good week. I did have a good week, again, because I know that this month I'm going to be a very busy camper, and so I'm preparing for that. I've also got a few um, what, uh, virtual events. I don't know if you do that ever because of the work you do is more consultative, but I do a lot of, although you're probably on a lot of Zoom calls, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, in-person meetings, Zoom meetings, um, either of those are great. And when it's a hybrid, that's the tricky part, I find. Maybe you do, too, where we've got some people in a room and some people dialing in and, you know, just oh, keeping the like conversation that. balanced. Yeah, I, no. I've had that. But I have a bunch of uh, virtual events. And the only problem I have with a virtual event is that I'm talking to the screen and that's it. I have no uh, sense of reaction from people in the room and all that. So I, I, I sort of pretend I'm on TV. Like, what would the home audience be doing if they really were in love with me at this moment in time? But I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, it's not my first choice. I, I do not like, by the way, I do not like hybrid events where, to your point, I'm in a live room with a group of people, and then they've also got all of these other people virtually. Because it's always the case that somebody isn't muted or somebody starts to, or takes a call, or somebody asks a question out of the blue, and it really throws me off when they do that. So, but I'm, yeah, you know, it's it's tricky. It's like we all we all become grade school teachers, and classroom management becomes you know half the job just to make sure people are paying <laughs> attention, getting heard. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, and, I, and so uh, I this I like that's why. I, I'm okay doing virtual things this month because I, I get the rhythm of it. And if I understand who's in the audience, I can go along. I do all the things I necessarily do, but I do like to see people. I do like every once in a while, I'll have audiences where they have those little boxes where you can see they're, 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 they're looking. Although when I notice some of those, I get distracted as well because they're not always paying attention to me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Is, do they, either of these platforms, Zoom or Microsoft Teams, have they found a way to sort of um, recreate the standing ovation that you're so used to getting? <laughs> I mean, that must be the hardest part. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't found that yet, but I do, I, I, I yearn to see that. <laughs> well, you know, AI, maybe AI can do something maybe about AI that. AI will do that for me. <sighs> They're on their feet. <laughs> Much like this uh, podcast we'll do for our listeners after we conclude. Get them, or maybe they're on their feet right now as they leave the room as we're talking. So anyway, what's on, uh, what's on uh, track for this week? I think I have it right here. I think we're back talking about back to work. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is an easy one. We're all going back to work. I guess what they're meaning, this is a little different because back to work means a couple things in different circumstances here. Uh, I'm interested in that. And then we have another article again this week, right? Is uh, The article again is things to do when you're going back to work. But this one is tips for easing back into the workplace after a vacation. You know, I, I have to say on a personal note, uh, some of these, uh, you know, uh, underline bold italics, pretty good uh, suggestions in there, stuff I hadn't thought of. So, yeah, excited to talk about that. There's some real practical tips in that one. Yeah, I think so. So... By the way, are, are, are we on our own this week or does anybody uh, supporting our, our podcast? Oh, 
Uh, thank you for reminding me. We well, are unpaid sponsor for this week's exactly. podcast. I don't want to offend the unpaid sponsor. Is another blast from the past, New Coke, introduced in 1985 uh, and on the shelves for exactly 77 days before the Coca-Cola company reverse course admitted their mistake and reintroduced what was then Coke Classic. So thank you very much to New Coke for New backing Coke. us in our endeavors. I wonder, can you find that? Is that available on eBay? We should ask Jack. <clears throat> because it, I wonder if you can still find cans of New Coke. And if you can, are they something you could actually drink at this point in time, you know, 30 years later? I, I don't know. I, I would imagine, like the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's all in a warehouse somewhere with those, right. the, those tainted Tylenol bottles and other stuff we're not supposed to touch. Right, right. But I do know people still drink, um, what is that uh, diet one? Uh, what Tab? Tab. I think there are people that are, I remember this one woman I knew, she, I walked to her apartment once, this was years ago, she had six cases of Tab. And I said, why, are you, why do you have six cases of tab? And she was always worried that they were going to stop making it because she was addicted to it. And I thought, well, God, that's a problem. You have a, but I didn't say anything to her, but yeah. it's, that's do, an addiction. I don't know. Do they, they still make tab? I, I was going to ask. I don't know if they still make tab. I don't know. It don't can't know. be right good up, for you. Neither can Mr. Yeah, they Pitt. do still make tab. Not in the States, but you could get it in some European countries. Oh, you have to smuggle it in. Yeah, Jack I'm looking for Coke, too. I'm only seeing the cans. I don't know if there's any with the like elixir still intact. I'm like, I, yeah, then, yeah, I love I Jack that, keeping tabs on tab. That's pretty good. I know, but it's got tab. Hey, what about Mr. Pib, Jack? Do they still make Mr. Pib? That was another. Oh, yeah, thing. definitely. How about, remember this one? I remember this from my childhood, Chocolate Soldier. Has anybody ever had that pop? It was a pop called Chocolate Soldier. <laughs> it was literally chocolate I... pop. Anybody? Never. Me? Bueller? Bueller? Green, ever... <laughs> Green, Green River? How about Green River? Is that Green another River, one that... I remember. I remember. Then I remember going into uh, Boone's Farm or, uh, of course, that would let me into the liquor area. Did you say, did you say Chocolate Soldier was something you drank? Yeah, chocolate soldier. I don't, I don't think they're allowed to have that anymore. No, I'm not telling you it was a good at name, but it was the name, and it was I was. Mom, I was, please, can we get a chocolate soldier? Chocolate soldier. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was literally a, 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 a bottle of. I can't remember. It was out of Pennsylvania, so maybe it was a local brand. Ah, that explains it. My grandfather used a, to sell it. A, a happy accident between RC Cola and YooHoo. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of like a yoo-hoo. It was a, it was a, it was a, yeah. I, 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 well, it's so funny. Okay. I don't know if it anyway. exists anymore. But anyway, okay. let's get, let's back get back to the to program. Work. Back exactly to work. Exactly right. Let's we got, it. we digress on, on memory lane here. So let me, let us take us, uh, uh, our first question, frozen in place. You ready? Dear CC. It's a new year, but the same old job. It's becoming really hard for me to go back to work each morning. I have been working at an insurance agency for almost seven years, reviewing policies, and I'm done. I mean, done. I know I can't quit, but I can't go on any longer. How do I take the plunge and get a new job? This is my first and only job I've ever had since college, but leaving feels terrifying. 
Any advice on how I can get past my fear of leaving? Signed, frozen in place in Pasadena. Okie doke. I, I, I can appreciate this person's fear because it's the devil you know. What do you think, Tim? Well, first off, um, how ironic that we're frozen in Pasadena. Uh, so that's <laughs> yes. kind of interesting. Um, and, and th you know, and my first comment to, to Frozen in Place would be, thank you for your service. This does not sound like a good time day in and day out. Uh, and, and this happens to people. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. You kind of hit a breaking point and you think, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just to start looking because sometimes just recognizing that there are other options, that there are other paths, even if you haven't taken the first step towards those, can relieve a lot of the stress. Because if you you know, if you know, kind of feel trapped, I don't like this, I don't know how to start, I don't know what to do next, doing some research, polishing up your resume, you know, you're a couple steps short of interviewing and having to decide between options. But just to know, oh, there's other stuff out there that sounds interesting can at least kind of lighten the load in the meantime, mm -hmm. while, you, while you're trudging through this job. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's I, I like that. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I go back to your first thing about the um, seven years. There's a myth here. There's a myth called the seven-year itch. You've heard of this, where sure. seven years, you sort of an itch to do other things. Actually, that the, the reality is, and this is in relationships as well, I read this in a book called Mean Genes. Uh, genes is not in the ones you wear, but the ones that inhabit our body. Hmm. And in this, uh, they, it's actually a four-year itch. It's four years that drives us to then to think about, okay, maybe I should be looking around in some way. So what's so interesting about our, our, our frozen is that this person waited an additional three years. So my point here is that I think they're slow to boil. And I think it's going to take them a while to rev up. And I think that Tim's point about doing a little homework, seeing what's interesting to you, will allow you to acclimate yourself to the notion of changing. You see, this is the notion. You first have to get comfortable to the notion of changing before you're even comfortable seeking the change itself. And so in that sense, and if you are, as I said, slow to boil, then it's probably start to think about who do I want to be? And I, I thought of this too, and I don't know if this is helpful, but imagine yourself 30 years from now. How do you, how are you, if you're going to say, who are you in 30 years or who are you in 20 years? I don't care, but pick a number far enough in the future, then work backwards against that and say, where do I have to be today to be that? And so I think that gets you, uh, positions you. Now, uh, the other thing I would say, and, and Tim, I, I would I'd like you to add on to this, is um, doing the work you do itself. What is it that appeals to you? Because you have been doing it three years longer than the itch would require you to do it. So I think you sort of like routine. There's something about routine that appeals to you. I think that's interesting because you want to look for a job that has that element. Another thing, what are you particularly good at there? What do people say, hey, you're really good at? And if they only say making the coffee, uh, that's going to be a problem. Another yeah. one is too. Go, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I'm just, I'm still hung up on this seven-year itch versus four-year itch. This is fascinating. Yeah, isn't that so crazy? That, that, that's just sort of the common phrasing, seven-year itch. We just kind of yeah. throw that around. And, yeah. and the well, reality is the studies have shown. Yes, the study is actually four years. Uh, according to this book that I just uh, finished, but the, it's but seven years seems to be what has come into the popular nomenclature. You know, I think there was a movie called The Seven Year Itch, 
And, and so I think that sort of got us in the habit of thinking that's what, that's where the, de the desire to change resolves itself. Huh. And next you're going to tell me my, my midlife crisis happened 12 years ago. This is what's yes. happening now. We're correcting the dates. So, yes, a couple, you know, a couple things about this about this particular case for our, our friend in, in Pasadena. One is this was the first job, right? And so, finding that first job is often very, very different than finding any other job after that. There's sort of the funnel. Maybe you were recruited out of college. You were kind of fresh and new. You didn't necessarily have experience, but you had a degree. Something right. drew you to this job, whatever it was. And so, um, you know, it's only your first time, one time. So, you know, this, this is a new experience in, in terms of job hunting. Um, so that's one thing just to note that. The, the, and, and I'm sure this person has friends, colleagues who've moved on. And so anybody who's taken their second job maybe can give some tips, some tricks, what it's like to, you know, look for a position after you've been in the workforce for, for some period of time. It's probably different. The other thing, um, and, you know, I don't know you, Pasadena. We've, we've barely just met. Um, but if you've been <laughs> reviewing policies for seven years, um, I might think maybe, uh, is that a comment on your skills? Should there have been some additional responsibility? Is, <laughs> is there not, you know, a next step on the ladder that you could go after? What, you know, what, what's really going on here? Right. Um, and so, you know, depending, uh, it, it's easy for any of us to say, oh, do this, do that, move on, just, you know, put one foot in front of the other. But some folks are risk averse. Some people are change averse. Mm -hmm. It scares them. Um, and so it might be, uh, do you have to do this forever? Is there some next position at the company, a different department? Is there something else that is a change? Maybe it's not as severe a change. Uh, you still drive to the same office maybe, but you, you sit on a different floor or you have a different role. Um, so that can be something to look at as well. I like your point there because what she didn't, or she, or I'm not sure if it is a she, but what they didn't say is what they like about where they are, meaning that if they were there for seven years, it might be that they enjoy the camaraderie of the people they're with. And so part of this might be the routine of this is pleasing. But, the job, but I also want to make a point here that where you are at this moment is about getting away from what you're doing, not going to what you want to do. And that's why you need to think about this for a while, because it's one thing to stop doing something. It's another thing to start doing something else entirely. And so this goes back to what do you want to learn? What are you good at? What do you enjoy? Um, uh, so another point I'll make, too, is your age. You, this is your first job out of college. I'm assuming that you graduated college in, in a normal. Uh, so you're maybe around 29 or 30. In the world of which we live today, you are considered the emerging adult. And the emerging adult is uh, the, right around 30, you say, you know, now I know who I want to be. Where in my world, when I was growing up in the world of work, I started my career at 22 and I had to make the decision of who I was going to be earlier. And then I sort of stuck to it, as it were, regardless of if I wanted to be that. In your world, what we're finding is that there's this, uh, well, I'll call it, actually, I don't call it this, David Brooks calls this the odyssey phase. And this is a phase of exploration between around 22 and 30, say, who could I be? You have not really fully embraced your odyssey phase. Now it's maybe time to start thinking about doing that because the world is your oyster. And so in that sense, this fear, uh, you know, uh, one more point I'll make and then I'll, we'll be done here or I'll be done, is that fear is, is a biological process. But fear, like stage fright, is, is the same biological process as is excitement. And my point is, 
Excitement and, and stage fright are the same biological processes. So if you trick the mind before, when you, before you go up in front of people and say, I'm very excited about talking about this, it is you will have the same physiological reactions. So trick the mind and saying, I am not fearful of this. I'm excited about doing that because the physiological reaction is identical. And that might propel you to tr go out there and seek more than you are willing to do in the moment you are today. That's fascinating. So it's the same, the same like physical reaction in your body, yes. but if you just sort of reframe it as I'm excited. It's exactly right. It's, it's the physiological, because you got to get the person to convince it. I say, what are you feeling here? Well, my heart's pounding. Okay, let's talk about when you're really excited about really doing something you want to do. Well, my heart's pounding. Okay. You right, see? Right. So these things are the same. We just have to uh, frame that in a way that, that gets us past this, this feeling of immobile. Because I get stage fright. All Do you get stage fright? I, I mean, I do, but it goes away very quickly. It's sort of like the anticipation, yeah. sort of the moments right up until the start. And then as soon as things kind of kick in, it's just you kind of ride the wave and, and it feels good. But it but does. that but recognizing those that those physical symptoms, I could tell you a quick story. I was on a plane with my wife once and um, I, I was very quiet and we landed and kind of got off the plane. And she said, you were very quiet. And I said... I thought I was having a heart attack, and the whole time I was trying to figure out, do I ring the call button to make them land the plane? Where do they keep the defibrillator? Like, how do I oh, get the appropriate medical attention? You know, yeah. what do I have to you do to make them turn this, to turn this plane around? So that's what she said. You know, my wife's a therapist. She said, oh, you had a panic attack. I said, I had a what? I didn't even know this was a thing. And so, you know, I thought I was having a heart attack. So in, in her endeavor to be helpful, she gave me a book. That was called Don't Panic. And so the whole idea of this is to explain to you that the physical manifestation of the panic attack is very similar to a heart attack. And the key is recognizing you're having one, not the other. There are things you can do to calm yourself down. This yes. is not going to be fatal. So one would think that this would be a helpful thing to read. Oh, not so. Not no. so, because it was full of disclaimers. So like paragraph one was, if you're feeling that rapid heartbeat, if you're sweaty, if you're short of breath, the first thing to recognize is that you're not having a heart attack. Footnote one, little print, footnote one, you might be. Please consult your cardiologist <laughs> to make sure. Like, it was full of all this, like, uh, this isn't helping me. It, it was so, like, lawyered up in terms of the risk of, of advising somebody against seeking medical attention. I mean, this is the worst book I ever read. Anyway, although, but it's although, interesting that the physical f symptoms yeah. can be similar for two very different things. Although I would argue if you're reading that book while you're having a panic attack, you probably get distracted by having to figure out what this footnote says because it's so small, which will dissuade you from, you know, thinking about the panic attack. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I mean, th this is a series in, a, in my unpublished book, I'm Married to the Worst Therapist Ever. But, no, you know, I... We, we, uh, you know what? I, I had this same experience with you on planes. I, I used to have them more frequently because I'm on planes a lot. And what I learned about being on planes is... I cannot be really tired if I'm on a plane because I'm more susceptible to anxiety and I'm claustrophobic. So I insist Ooh. almost to, I, I mean, literally I will, uh, an aisle seat. And one time I was on a plane, it was delayed. I was in a, a window seat. I was way in the back of the plane. I'm having a panic moment. I leaned over to my seatmates and I said, look, I'm going to buy you all drinks for the rest of this flight, if you just talk to me for the next 10 minutes. And they were friendly and they talked to me and I, and I went on and on. I bought them all drinks and then they, I said, okay, now I'm feeling better. 
but I still had to continue my drinks. But yeah, right. I, if That's I had right. somebody who distracted and talked to me, life was better. What is it, Jack? We got Jack on the line. Can we just normalize that everyone is bugging out a little bit on the plane, even if you're a great flyer? Like, oh, yeah. everyone's somewhere in their mind being like, this can't be possible. We can't be in a rocket. Oh, yeah. It's going to fall yeah, out of the sky and we're going to die. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It shouldn't work. There, there's an, 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 this yeah, is the, you. your, your new normal is that level of baseline. And, and, I, and I joke, I should, just for the, the listeners, in case any of you are, are clients and patients of my wife, she's a wonderful therapist. She does very well at, at her job. But she does have a knack of sort of pressing my buttons. There was, there was one time um, <laughs> my son was very young. He was in a stroller. And so for the first time ever, we used the elevator. We're in Chicago. Great. Um, system of public transportation, but between the train lines downtown, you have to take an elevator from one to the other. And when you get into this thing, it's like a bank vault uh, that uh, unhoused people have been living in. So the doors are super thick. They close very slowly. The elevator moves very slowly. And as the doors are closing, because I have a little bit of claustrophobia, Ooh, uh, Susie turns to me and she says, you must be freaking out right now. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, it hadn't even occurred to me. And, you know, my palms started sweating and my heart was beating. And I'm like, these doors are never going to open. And I came tumbling out, gasping for air. And I'm like, why, why would you bring that up? You know, so anyway, we kid because we love. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. I have another elevator anyway. story, but I, we, don't, we don't have time for that. One of these episodes will eventually yes. have my elevator story. But So anyway, uh, I think we should move back. on. I think we've, I yes. think we've helped with Back frozen. to work. Yeah, unfreeze we, we, yourself, Frozen. Th do it. Do it. Put your feet are, by the fire. Are we ready for the second question? Is it my turn to read? Let's, or is let's your... go. No, I think, it's, I think it's mine unless, I mean, I know okay. how you no, no. prefer to, to, have the, uh, to have the microphone, Chris, but I'd like to get some <laughs> airtime here if I can. Oh, don't let me interrupt. All anyway, right. Let me, oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. So this is, this is Tag I'm It in Wichita, but the it is IT. So Tag I'm IT in Wichita. Hey, my office is instituting a new policy uh, that is going to eliminate work from home for some of the jobs here. I think I think I might be one of those jobs. Oh no, I know where this is headed. I'm IT and I do troubleshooting. If there's a problem at the office with their machines, software, platforms, when I say IT, I am it, all of it. So critical employee here. Mm -hmm. It's a non-for-profit, so they don't have much by the way of budget. Frankly, I don't have any problems when we were working three days a week. I live close by, so if there was an incident, I could be there in 10 minutes. Now, they're making it an issue for all support staff to be in-house all week. I think it's unfair because the professional staff is still on a hybrid schedule. How can I get them to change their policy, or at least for me, again, tag, I'm IT in Wichita. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I probably don't know a common problem for workers yeah. all over the place these days. I think so, too. And I think that is true because somebody has to man the fort. You know what I'm saying? That's the that's the game here that you cannot have everyone virtually because somebody has to open the doors and you know, to answer the phones or whatever the things. Of course, you can answer the phones remotely, I'm sure. But there are certain things that require the presence of others. That is our reality. But to your point, to your point, I.T., is that, uh, look, yeah. I think for you, your circumstances should have some flexibility. You are a valuable resource as you are the only resource, which gives you leverage. That's what I believe there. 
But before you leverage your leverage, as it were, find out your worth. Uh, and I might suggest doing a little homework in the marketplace saying, what is my skill set worth out there and to whom? To whom? Because one of the things that's nice about your job, it's convenient and you understand it. And so you have to say, okay, what are the things you'll be sacrificing? And then what are the things you might be looking for? Remember, our last person here was afraid to go out and look into the workplace in terms of what might be out there. Don't be afraid to see what might be out there because you're not necessarily going out there. You're using it as a leverage. Once you find out what your worth is, then you can go in and I would say negotiate some space. Your worst case scenario would should be, okay, uh, I will have to come in four days a week as opposed to five. So in that sense, you want to have some uh, wiggle room to negotiate when you come in. And then maybe you would add to that some flexibility around those four days or some maybe three, then five or two, then, you know, whatever the things you can do, creating some flexibility. One other suggestion I have, don't tell them and just do what you've always been doing anyway. <laughs> Because if you're only 10 minutes away, it's very hard for them to say, you know, you know, to blame you for a 10 minute delay upon arrival to fix whatever problem they have. So I would say uh, ask for forgiveness before you ask for permission. So anyway, those are my thoughts. What do you think? Tim? Yeah. Yeah. This, well, this is interesting. It's, it sounds like IT is, is open to a hybrid model, meaning uh, no problem being in the office some of the time, just not all right. the time. And, and I think that seems pretty reasonable. You know, uh, this organization, IT doesn't mention the size of his company, but the fact that, that this person is the only IT staff suggests to me it, it's not enormous, right? So it's a right. r relatively small or, or medium-sized business. Um, businesses that size can have somebody on staff, but a lot of them, just for context, deal with an outside you know, managed service provider. They don't have any IT employees. They have a company that they call. When there's an issue, they come in, they fix stuff, um, and that works incredibly effectively um, many times in that relationship there are few or no office hours so there is a, an entire segment of the world that exists without any IT person in literally in the office you know not knowing the needs or how frequent they are um, I would say you know maybe it's helpful to look around for other positions so you know could I do this job someplace else where they allow me to be hybrid um, and and create some leverage here and say, I understand where you guys are coming from. I think I can be completely effective and I have some comps. So there are plenty of other companies who do it this oh, way. I, I like right. it here. I have no I have no intention of leaving, but it just seems sort of uh, out of step with the times that you would need me to be here all day, every day, as long as I'm getting my work done. Can we at least talk about this? So in, in a, you try to do it in a non-threatening way, and, and if you don't mm -hmm. handle it well, it's going to come across as maybe an ultimatum. You don't want that. But right. if you can find you know other other companies that you might be interested in, in, in working there who allow this model. Uh, kind of bring that up and let them know, hey, there are, there are other ways to do this. You know, IT mentions that the, the professional staff is still hybrid. So, you know, um, I'm sure you could customize your proposal to say, well, if, if our people are in, in the office Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or, you know, we have a common day Wednesday while everybody's here, certainly I'll be in the office that day or those days, you know, but the rest of the days, I think I should be able to be remote and I can be there in 15 minutes at any time if something comes 
comes up. And, you know, you get a, get a read on the conversation. So I would say just start the dialogue. Um, you know, as you said, don't don't assume that it has to be this way. Uh, and, you know, see where it goes. But I would I would at least, you know, let them know um, that you have a preference and it isn't uh, where they're steering you. I, I think that's all good. You know, one thing I had, as you were speaking, I, I would add to this and then we'll, we'll be done is that you are the entire department. Why don't you figure a way to reclassify your department as professional staff? And then you fall under the umbrella of professional staff since you are, in fact, the staff of IT which is a, a, a critical function within the organization, I am sure. And so in that sense, it's just a, it's a, it's a nomenclature issue. Just putting it out there. Just putting yep. it out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen, you really hit it. It's, I was just kind of thinking about, yeah, you've got, you've got a lot of leverage in this situation because you're the only one and every business, they, their systems are idiosyncratic. There's some art and science in terms of what they have and how it works. And this person has sort of cracked the code on that. So I, I'm sure they would prefer not to have to break in a new IT person. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm going to have to move us on here because I, we only have about a minute or so to do this. And I'm not going to get through all of these things, but I, I like this. Uh, remember, I alluded to this going back to the office after vacation. This was by a Beth Herring wrote this. I thought this was interesting. I'm not going to go through the five things to do. The one that I liked on this list, though, was schedule a buffer day. You know oh, what I do on vacation? Fantastic. Is that the one you thought too? Because uh, what I do on vacations is I, I come back because I know the next day I'm working. And the problem with that is uh, there's other things you want to do when you get back. And I like the idea of having a buffer day. I get back from vacation knowing the next day I'm still off, that I can get everything back in order and get my mindset and my headset around. Okay, I'm going to go to work. I got to do all these things. I got to get myself organized. So giving yourself, that was my favorite of the list. What did you have? What would you respond to that, Tim? Yeah, exact same one. I've got a good practice. We do that where it's sort of return from vacation on Saturday and have the Sunday as a buffer day to sort of yeah. kind of unpack and get acclimated. I never thought about carrying that into the work week. Uh, so I thought that was spectacular. One of the other comments was, clear your first morning so that's sort of a happy medium maybe i can't take another buffer day off but at least i on my calendar i block out that monday morning and i can sort through my email you know kind of figure out what my priorities are and get caught up before i'm fully fully engaged at the office so lots of good tips there yeah this was a nice series of little tips and the point is easing in the whole idea is ease into your day and don't go after the biggest projects the moment you walk back just give yourself space to organize yourselves and, and ease into it. That's all we got to say this week. Tim, I think you should be wrapping this puppy up. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great conversation. Hopefully um, we helped our folks, uh, our listeners who, who, uh, who shared those challenges with us. Next week, um, we are delving into amateur proctology, and we're going to talk about how to handle an a-hole in the office. So that's a can't miss. Uh, uh, tune in next week to hear all about that. We all uh, we all have these people in our lives. Um, as always, a tip of the cap to Jack Edinger, our exceptional executive producer, who helps make all this happen. And a big thank you to our listeners, particularly those of you who made it to the end of the podcast. As always, we want to hear about the drama, the dilemmas, the conundrums that you face at work. Emails to info at Cubicle Confidential. Tweet us at Cubicle Confidential 1, numeral 1. We hope you have a great week at work. Cubicle Confidential, signing off. <laughs>